as you know, we're going to continue on in First uh, Timothy. We're going to hopefully get into some of uh, chapter 2 today after a short, short recap from chapter 1. But I'd just like to pray first. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. God, we, we need you. We rely on you. So Lord, I ask just now that in all of who you are, God, as you work in us, in our mind, giving us clarity, giving us understanding, Lord, help us to be clearly hearing you that distractions and the wrong thoughts, the wrong words will not be a part of where our thoughts, our speech goes. So look, because Lord, we want to honour you. We want all glory to go to you. And I want to speak clearly from you, of, yeah, from your book here. So God, help me to be clear in what I say and help us all to understand your message, your book and your will. Amen. So just a quick recap, because um, we're going into chapter 2. We're going to finish on chapter 1 today and then go into chapter 2. So quick recap. Timothy, we've read that he's been urged by God through Paul to stand firm in truth against heresy and foolishness. And this has particularly been happening in the Ephesian church. In verse 1, we, uh, verse 2, sorry, we read this, that he's been urged to stay there while Paul, when Paul uh, moved on. But in the Ephesian, Ephesian church, there were false doctrines, there were myths. There were people who were acting and speaking separate from the will and the way of God. They thought they had understanding, but yet they didn't. And in that lack of understanding, they were making great assertions, great big comments, but they weren't of God. Paul, in the first verse, it talks about he was uh, an apostle of Christ, apostle of God, by the commandment of God. He was called to be a foundational apostle of the church, gifted and equipped to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's you and me. That's you and me. Paul was faithful to God, and now today you and I sit here, Gentiles, we are redeemed, we hear the gospel, we have God in us and working through us, and that is something great. As Graham said, I've mentioned before, there's a few standout verses here in this passage. Two of them, one of them Graham's already mentioned, and the other one I mentioned earlier when I spoke last time was verse 15. That is a trustworthy statement deserving of full accept acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So that's you and me, that's all of us. And that is a great encouragement, isn't it? There's no better part of information that can be applied in your life than to, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save you. That Christ came to save me. But as we have gone through chapter 1, and as we got, head on into chapter 2, you will find that repeatedly the gospel comes up again and again. In verse 1, it is referenced with our hope, with Christ being our hope. In verse 11, it's our glorious gospel. In verse 15, as I just read, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Again and again, God's reoccurring focus is salvation of mankind. Because as verse 15 says, as God says there, Christ came to save all of humanity. All. And we'll see that a bit further on as we get into chapter 2. 
But last week we didn't quite finish chapter 1. So we're going to finish, uh, go through the last few verses of chapter 1 and then we'll start um, in chapter 2. And thanks to that reading before, I was just in the, I was in the book of Revelation instead of Timothy. But let's um, go to verse um, 17 just to remember where our focus is. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these, uh, this guy and Alexandra, who I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So these verses here, the first one is a reminder again of what's already been said to Timothy. It's that he's exhorting him. He has directed him that he is to take charge there in that Ephesian church. He's been entrusted to lead the church there, to teach truth, to ensure that truth is taught and led. That he lives a life of of an example to the people whom he is speaking with, whom he is correcting, teaching, encouraging. One that is full of the true faith, not just what he wants to say, not myths, not wound up in or some faceless or factless in, bit of information about history, but yet that he is founded in Christ, the truth of God, and that he does it with a, with a clean conscience, with a good conscience, that he's firmly founded in Christ and what Christ has for him to do. The work of the Holy Spirit in him is evident. Because there were still some there who had rejected that kept on going on and on. And Paul, as you remember, he had been there before a couple of times. He had written to them, and we're going to read some of those verses in Ephesians later. Again and again, he'd been encouraging the people. And so as we read through here with a couple of these people, they had not responded to God. They had not responded to God's servant. And if we were to keep on reading through into Second Timothy chapter 2, we would read a bit more about that guy that's hard to pronounce and we'd find that he was still, at a later time, he was still someone who was acting against God. God writes it there that what he was doing and saying was like gangrene. It stinks. It's just permeating and killing the body. That's what he was about. But um, Timothy is reminded there in that passage in 2 Timothy where it's brought up again in chapter 2 to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed diligence but going back to chapter uh, chapter 1 the end of it these men had they were there they had the truth there but they were rejecting it they were choosing to pursue error it was a common thing in those days and it still happens today, that people teach and say the wrong thing for self-glorification, for financial gain and different personal things like that, not for the will of God. 
It's not verse 17 that they were on about. It's not now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honour forever and ever. Amen. That wasn't their heart. That wasn't their purpose in it. But as we had read previously, that the heart from where a Christian comes from is clear. But when we walk away from the heart that God, the mind that God has given us, we become fruitless. And that's what these guys had done. And so as we read through in 2 Timothy and other parts of some of the epistles, we gain understanding that these two men had been put outside the church as a form of discipline because they were disrupting. They were like gangrene in the church. They were destroying the, the body, the body of Christ. So let's continue on now into chapter 2. And as we go into chapter 2, uh, or so far there's been a bit about conduct within the church and how the church conducts itself. Con- um, and now as we go into chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, sorry, we'll find that he starts to talk a little bit about more of your personal life, what you are doing. Because as, he, as we'll read in these first few verses, actually I'll read them through and then I'll say a little bit more. So, as we go to chapter one and v- chapter two, sorry, and verse one. First of all, then I urge you that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may, attra- may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying. As a, teacher of the, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So Timothy had been encouraged to walk in truth, to teach truth. And in the book of Ephesians, again and again that comes up. And it's the letter that had been written to the Ephesian church where Timothy was. Chapter 4 and verse 1, it's about walking in a worthy manner in a worthy manner of, of your calling. Chapter 5, it talks about being imitators of God. And this is what God wanted the Ephesian believers to be about, that they would work, walk worthy of their calling, that they would be imitators of God. So as we read through these verses, and these next few verses, I believe, are very pertinent for today. But as we consider what's said here, understand of the environment that these people were living in that throughout the Middle East the believers what that what was their their society like generally it wasn't very Christian focused it wasn't favorable for them there were martyrdoms going on in this time Nero was the ruler of Rome and this is a part of his kingdom and he wasn't that much of a nice guy he was very self-centered even had some of his own family knocked off and he didn't necessarily have any liking towards Christians. Paul wasn't the only one who was persecuting the church up to the point of when he got saved. And afterwards, there were other people who were going against God, going against what God was wanting to teach 
and grow people into. So as we go through, and as we might think today, there's a lot of turmoil going on, and, or whether you're just enjoying life, that's good. Understand the reality and the relevance of Scripture day by day because it is God's Word. So I want to work through a few of these verses with you. And we're not going to get um, right the way through what we had organised here. We're going to run out of time. So that's okay. I'll keep an eye on it. But let's just look at what God has said here. And I'm going to read it again. We'll look at a few of the words that he has said. Verse 1 of chapter 2, 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. First of all, so there's an orientation to your focus, isn't there? First of all. Then I urge you that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made of, on behalf of all men. So we might think everyone or is it just blokes? No, it's a mankind type thing. It's a men there is referring to all of mankind. But to get clarity, often in scripture, all you have to do is keep reading. And it gives clarity in verse 2. It says, For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may be able to lead a quiet and sorry, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So do you understand what's been said here in verse 1 and verse 2? God was calling the believers there to pray for the persecutors, to, call, to pray for some of the leaders in some of the cities whom had chased out Paul and some of the other disciples and the believers when they had preached Christ. God was calling them to pray for them, to pray for them first, a priority. Petitions. To pray with a petition for their leaders. That takes a mindset and a heart for God, doesn't it, to do that? When, you're being, when you have leaders that don't want you to do well because of who you are and your worldview, that you stand for Christ. And there's no hidden meaning in the, any of these words. As we look at petition, it is just that, that you petition God on these people's behalf. Prayer is just that. It is praying to God. It is talking to God, a privileged conversation. Intercession, it's you stepping in on their behalf. That I would want to step in for my leaders and pray for them, beg on, God's, on their behalf before God. Remember, as was said before, repeatedly through here so far, and it keeps going on as we have read, salvation is a priority of God's heart for all of mankind. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is God's heart to see all our leaders believe in Jesus Christ as their saviour. And then as the verse continues on, that they would walk in truth. That is his heart's desire and that is to be our prayer focus. Because it says in verse 2 very clearly, it says, for, all, for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, it's not just all about you and me, so we can just sit down in peace on a Sunday. But there is more to it. 
That is reason number one. Reason number two, as already said, I'll read again in in verses three and four. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Saviour. So number two, because this is the heart and the will of God. To do the will of God, you step in on behalf of those who have authority over you, your civil leaders, our, our state premier, our prime minister, and you pray for them. You pray for them that they would be saved, that they'll be men or women who walk with God. This is what Paul this is what God is saying to, to these people here, saying to Timothy to pass on to the Ephesians. And number three, for the reason, because God desires that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the word all there, it's not just all of us and excluding everybody else. It's not that God chooses oh, I'm just going to save 96,000 and the rest don't really matter. No, it's all here, if you want to look it up in the Greek, it means in an absolute sense, an absolute sense. Because as we know, as we've read already, even in the book of 1 Timothy, verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God didn't just think, I'm just going to save this 37% and the rest can go to hell. No. It's always been God's heart to redeem all of mankind, whoever will choose to put their faith in Christ as their redeemer. So if we're praying for our leaders, what is to be our mindset? Well, let's get a bit more of a rounded picture. Let's keep reading in Scripture of what God says a bit about our approach to our leaders. In Romans 13, if you want to turn there, Romans 13 and verse 1. Romans 13 and verse 1. It says, Every person, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. So that gives us a bit of understanding, isn't it? We have the leaders who God believes we need to have. Therefore, whoever resists authority opposes the ordinance of of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon upon themselves. Now, for the sake of time, we'll go down to verse 7, where it says, Render to all what is due to them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, and honour to whom honour. It might be easy always to, to appreciate the leaders that we have when they act in ungodly ways or when they don't want to have a faith in Jesus Christ as their saviour. But we're still called to respect our leaders, to show them honour, to not act foolishly. But yet there's more to this. If you turn to First Peter and this is more to this as in the sense of more to how God wants us to approach and what sort of attitude to our leaders. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 3, sorry, verse 13. 1 Peter 2 and verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, sorry, institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors who have been sent 
by him. And skipping down to verse 17. Honour all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honour the king. So it's not just for authorities, but generally everybody. There's a verse that's hung on the back of the toilet door at home. It, it reads, do good to everybody, especially to those who are of the household of God. The best th few things that we can do for people, just from reading through here in verse Timothy, one is that we pray for them, that we pray for them, that we pray for them. Secondly is, if the opportunity is there, that we present Christ to them, that, they, that we desire for them to know Christ as their redeeming saviour. There's also the part of Acts 5, 29. 5, 29. And this is where Peter speaks up along with the, the apostles and it's where they've been given a hard time and told to act contrary to God. And it says, But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. Obedience to God is always foremost, always. But yet, in that, we still respect and honour all of mankind, even our leaders. We still show respect. Pray for those who persecute you. A good ex another example. So this is very pertinent to us today. Here it was in that time. We've gone through about 20 or 30 years, maybe 40 years as a nation where it's been pretty easy going, pretty comfortable as a Christian. You might get the old comment made against you. But things start to get, people start to make laws which make it harder or, they, or are against God. But we can still pray for them. We don't bicker against them. We don't speak against them, the men or women who God has put there. God is calling the Ephesian church, he's calling all believers to act with honour to be imitators of God, as I read out before from Ephesians 5.1, to be imitators of God, to live lives of godliness. Now, not because this verse has got the word godliness in it, but I'd like to read it out to you. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 3, so just over another page from chapter 2. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness, and he's going to explain it. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. The reason I read that verse out, if we're to live a godly life, if we're to conduct ourselves as God was calling the Ephesians here, it must be founded and focused on the foundation of God. That, and it's through Christ, faith in Christ. And if we, you went to the next chapter, 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. That's not a sexist comment. Only, sorry, on the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. I'm naturally not going to want to live a life that is well disciplined. If I have too much dessert throughout the week, my pants get tight. And sometimes that happens with all of us, don't we? We're not always well disciplined. But to live a life of godliness, founded in Christ, it takes disciplined, stimulated, and encouraged and equipped by the Spirit in us, God in us. 
So we'll finish the next, the rest of it next week. But God was calling these people in a hard environment to stand firm and well-disciplined, being imitators of him, being well um, sorry, being good imitators of God. Ephesians 5.1. So next week we'll continue on. We'll go, get through to, to verse 7. But God knows who we are. God welcomes everybody who will repent and come to him looking for in salvation and repentance. So let's pray and let's thank our God for, for who he is and what he offers us, what he has given us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, there's so much to you. As we open your word, you teach us. God, help us to be diligent to you. Lord, help us to be worthy of the calling that you've placed on us. Your children, your redeemed. God, thank you that you pursued us. Lord, we were enemies, we were against you but yet you pursued us and you made, you made yourself and your salvation known to, to us. And I thank you, God, for that fact. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for this great demonstration of love. And Lord, as we go through life day by day, it, I just ask that you bring back to our memory your words, your wisdom. Lord, help us to only draw from you, to draw on you and to be encouraged by you. No matter what our circumstances are, help us to rely on the fact of who you are, our sovereign, almighty, saving God. And I thank you for that. Amen.